Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Why we settled on the Black Soldier Fly was really for its versatility. It's able to accept the broadest streams of waste, um, all the way from like fruits to meats to dairy to grains. And so that meant that we were able to tackle some of the more difficult food waste streams that were always ending up in landfill. And we felt that was a a really great place to start. And what the challenge has been is to work out if we're going to take on such um, difficult streams that are, you know, no one else knows how to deal with and can't get them out of landfill, then how do we then still make a really high quality consistent insect protein out the other side. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. As of this week, we are also proudly sponsored by Creole. In an era where our beverages are over-sugared, over-caffeinated and stuffed full of questionable chemicals, Creole gives us a refreshing, tasty, healthy and locally produced alternative free from all the muck you'll find in other sodas. Their range of sodas are refreshing, delicious, and the perfect mixer or alternative to alcohol to enjoy over the summer. My personal favourite is Pineapple Ginger, and I can't wait to taste their recent Sour Cherry release. Creole are now the official drink of Humans of Purpose, and our listeners, you, can enjoy a 15% discount on their tasty range of healthy sodas. Just hit the link in our show notes or head to creole.com.au, click shop and enter discount code humans of purpose on checkout. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Phoebe Gardner. Phoebe is the co-founder and CEO of Bardi. Bardi are reshaping the global food system by transforming food waste into protein, oil and organic fertilizer with insects. Phoebe and her team have harnessed the power of the black soldier fly to really change the game when it comes to providing a sustainable form of protein for consumption and also a process to reduce food waste and harmful emissions. Phoebe has convinced me that in 10 years' time, we'll all be eating insects regularly, as will our pets. I believe her. I can't wait to see black soldier fly protein reduce our collective meat consumption. Cyril and I are pretty excited to tour the Barty premises in early 2022 and check out how our fly-based diet will taste in the years to come. This is an amazing conversation with Phoebe that is littered with my childish enthusiasm, excitement, but also ignorance about the complex area of science Phoebe and her team are working in to craft such a dynamic solution. We cover some important issues, also such as the challenges of founding a startup, promoting female leadership in the STEM field, and how one goes from being an architect to a black soldier fly social entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Phoebe as much as I did. So uh, Phoebe, fantastic to have you here. Thanks so much for coming out. Yeah, awesome. Awesome to be on the podcast. I read about you in the paper and I thought what you're doing is amazing and it's very rare that you can just, you know, take a LinkedIn punt and hit somebody up about what what they're doing in the world. But what you're doing is so fantastic and I think game-changing that it's a pleasure to have you on. And um, before we get into it, let's talk a bit about your journey um, into Bardi and into the the space and the circular economy and um, maybe just talk about um, how you started out. I know you were an architect for a while and how you made your way to this fascinating space. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing place to start. So, 
as you said, I started out working in architecture at Arup, and I really thought that I would be an architect. Even to this day, I actually don't have my driver's license. I really believed I'd be living in Melbourne, Fitzroy, riding my fixie, going to the architecture office every day. Um, but that really changed. I started to work on much larger scale projects that had a really strong ESD or environmental sustainable design element to the projects. And the kinds of projects that I was drawn to were these large train station type projects and when, what I was doing was working and really being a very small part of such large projects. But what I was exposed to was the way uh, really big projects are built. Um, when there's really narrow margins, they have to work, they have to be delivered on time. Things like new train stations in, in global cities in Australia, but also in Europe. And my partner, Alex, who's my co-founder, um, is an incredible entomologist. And while I was beginning my early career in architecture, he was doing incredible work with a very specific insect in the lab. And he was able to develop a, a unique way to breed this insect and optimize the different parts of the life cycle in order to create a really high um, protein alternative for, for other less sustainable ingredients. So together we at home started talking more and more about what the potential impact could be of Alex's research. What, what's that like when you're in that sort of relationship with an entomologist, of which I've just <laughs> learned the origin of that word? So, do you come home and you're like, How are the flies? And then, you know, he comes home and he's like, How are the buildings? kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much, I think we've always had a really strong interest in um, what each other are working on. And also, both of us have a really strong drive to see how much positive impact we can have in the work that we can do. So we're always trying to find new angles for each other of how we could access impact. Um, have you always wanted to work together? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that that just happened. It became um, something that felt like it was what we needed to do once we'd been discussing how this um, insect technology Alex was developing could potentially be applied at a global scale to process all of the waste streams of a city into something really sustainable and lots of different sustainable products. Once we started exploring that, there was just so much scope to it um, and I could bring my understanding of how cities work and how building big things work um, and we just felt we got to this point where we felt we just owed it to um, to ourselves to jump in and see what kind of impact we could have with tackling that kind of big problem. I think it's amazing. I just I sort of picture, and this could be completely my fantasy, but you're just sort of having a dinner one night, the two of you, and you're like, should we do this? And Alex is like, hell yeah, let's do this. And then you have a big high five. Is that sort of how it goes? Not not too <laughs> dissimilar to that. We were on um, – I was working on an amazing project over in Europe and Alex was with me. And so I think it was actually having that space uh, away from our normal day-to-day -day lives where we started to really consider, okay, what would it look like if we stepped into this 100%? By the end of that trip, um, that's the decision that we'd made. So as soon as we landed back in Australia, we started making plans to shift our lives towards jumping in 100% and we joined a accelerator program um at melbourne university and just got started is that the map accelerator yeah yep. the map accelerator yeah fantastic um let's just get back to basics a little bit and break down the concept of how alex's research has unlocked this um, huge potential for sustainability and um i guess um 
better um, recovery of waste or salvaging of waste? Yeah, the way I think about it is that insects have been recycling nutrients back into um, like growing things in nature for millennia. So the fly that we work with, the black soldier fly, it's a tropical rainforest fly, and it's really evolved um, to recycle nutrients like rotten fruit that's fallen from a tree back into really rich fertilizers to then grow the um, more plants in the in that area and in the forest and that's really its role in nature to do that what's really amazing about what alex um, and now what's been continued by our science team at body is to work out how to breed that insect in a lab to optimize the life stages so that yes it can process the food waste but also critically we can make a really really consistent high quality product that's the same every time at the end of that cycle um, that customers really love to work with and that has a really a, a carbon negative footprint so it's quite incredible can you train flies through genetic uh, entomological interventions <laughs> to be better at their jobs i think there are lots of levers that we pull to improve the product um, at the end at our current facility where we process roughly 10 tons of food waste every day. Now we have eight different labs and each one deals with a different life stage of the insect where by optimizing for the well-being and health of the insect at that life stage, we actually make a better protein product as, as well as a better fertilizer at the end. And we can also do things like uh, speed up some of the growth rates and um, achieve some really specific things that we're looking for in order to make this whole circular system work. Fantastic. And, and so how has it been in terms of um, trying to influence some of those changes? Have you made some breakthroughs in um, sort of the, the capacity or the yield of some of these flies to process um, increasing amounts of waste or to do so more efficiently? Yeah, I think there's a really recent and an amazing breakthrough from the body science and also husbandry team. Husbandry is um, meaning animal husbandry, so how you look after the insect. You're not not marriage to an insect. No, no. Just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, just um, just being really clear. It's often it's sort of like what vets might study. Yeah. Um, and or part of what they'd study and. One of the recent breakthroughs is that we have these specific labs where we breed the insect and um, produce lots of insect eggs. And we imagined that we'd be able to achieve, um, let's say, six grams of eggs per aviary, so a unit where we breed the fly at the adult life stage. Mm -hmm. And that was our absolute moonshot goal. We thought it was the theoretical limit of what was possible and we actually didn't tell um, anyone externally that that's what we were aiming for that was just our internal secret goal and within two months of having that goal we were able to exceed it to reach an average of 10 grams and now we're looking at you know numbers almost closer up to um, in some cases 30 so we're really unlocking something in this insect that's never been seen before and what that means is simply that we're able to process far more food waste in this very first site than we ever anticipated and have a much greater positive impact. That's incredible. And just take me back to the process a little bit. You were talking before about how um, in nature, you know, plants might fall or fruit might fall, fall down and become sort of part of the, the floor matter of a forest or something. Um, what is the role that the, like, that 
wouldn't do that by itself, right? It needs a fly or something to help break down the bacteria. Can you just explain a bit about what that kind of role is that the, the fly plays? Yeah, it's really interesting. And another analogy that would be really cool to bring in here is what happens in landfill versus what happens when insects are, are present or in the system we have it, how we break down food waste in the system at Bardi. So when food waste um, breaks down on its own, and particularly if it's compacted, it breaks down into methane. And that's a greenhouse gas that's about 30 times more potent than CO2. What happens when insects are present, um, particularly such like fast-growing, rigorous insects as the black soldier fly larvae that we work with at Bardi, is that they're moving through the food waste so much that they're aerating it and preventing any methane production. They're also consuming it and converting it into usable proteins um, and other nutrients. So in that way, we're able to reduce emissions by the way that the insects move through it and also create this sustainable product out the other side, which just wouldn't happen if we weren't using the insects and the food waste was breaking down on its own. So that's quite an enormous impact because really you're, you're dealing with food waste um, environments where there might be huge releases of CO2 uh, or methane unnecessarily. And through the introduction of these flies, you can radically reduce, if not eliminate, that altogether. Yeah, absolutely. What we know today is that food waste is responsible for roughly 8% of the total greenhouse gas emissions, and we're able to um, eliminate the methane component of those emissions. And the only emissions being created at body are the CO2, which is the respiration from the insect itself, just like uh, both of us, we're breathing out CO2. And that's really very minimal compared flies to... Flies would not have breathed out a lot. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Purely a guess. I'm not sure what an aviary would sort of blow out in CO2, but I'm, I'm sure. Do you, do you measure that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the benefit of us having a lab environment. We're able to measure all of the inputs and outputs. We're also solar powered at our first facility. Wow. So we're really committed um, to having uh, the most minimal footprint we can. Um, and our first value in the body team is accountability to nature. And we count every day as the CO2 offset that we're creating. That's fantastic. That's truly incredible stuff. We've talked a bit about the product um, of the, the black soldier fly larvae in terms of its waste uh, potential to reduce you know, CO2 emissions, methane and, um, and uh, waste as well. What about its applications for other things like um, pet food is one that I'm thinking of and potentially also human food? We think it's such an incredible idea at Body that owning a dog could actually offset carbon. Uh, and if you can get Cyril to work offsetting carbon, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Cyril would be so welcome as a taste tester <laughs> at Party. We <laughs> work with amazing pet food companies that are committed to sustainability, where we're working to include up to 30 or even 40% of the total diet of a dog um, as insect protein from Bardi. So exciting. It's the first step and the first market for us to really see how um, how the insect protein can be used. So we're learning a lot alongside those customers and really soaking in the feedback that we get. Um, the other potential uses for the insect protein that we're already working on are in animal feeds. So feeding insects to uh, some of the sustainably farmed salmon and barramundi and trout in Australia in order to create a more sustainable food system and as well as eventually human food. 
Fantastic. So huge amount of applications. What is the penetration like currently? Because I'm sure many people, including myself, did not know this until today, but sort of how far is the insect protein game for humans gotten to um, so far? Like can I just go and pick up some cricket protein? I think it's 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 really interesting because insects are very much a, a normal part of um, a Southeast Asian diet. And you can go um, to most places and find different, lots of different types of varieties of insects um, and really interesting dishes. It's not, it's not really the same in the West, um, but we are seeing that shift. And I really believe it's inevitable that in 10 years, all of us will be eating insects. We've already seen crickets and mealworms be approved for human consumption in Australia and New Zealand. And only last week, uh, it was in Europe approved to have the insect that we work with, black soldier fly larvae, um, available for human consumption. And currently Barty's uh, running a project with CSIRO to create the application in Australia and New Zealand for them to be available for us to eat. That's incredible. And just sort of on a research front as well, I mean, some of the things that you're doing with these flies sounds absolutely amazing and groundbreaking. Do you publish in journals or have you got any sort of further research aspiration? I think it's something that we'd look into in the future, definitely. We're so um, just incredibly thankful for the scientists who have joined us and are contributing to growing this technology and, and knowledge at Bardi. At the moment, we've got our heads down so much and we're moving so quickly that there's barely time to publish. The way that we approach experiments um, and generally our thesis around developing the technology at Bardi is really fast paced and quite different to what you might do if you were um, if you were looking to publish. Um, and I think we're one of many sort of climate tech companies working in that way. Um, I could point to another amazing company, uh, Val, who are working in the alternative protein space, creating um, creating amazing delicious meats for us to eat. What are they called? Sorry. Val. V-O-W? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Val I've, Foods. I've heard of them, yep. Really incredible. And, and I mean, there's so many others. And we actually have got together and spoken about how we structure our science teams in a way that we can develop these um, systems really quickly with lots of integrity, um, but also move faster than you would be able to move if you were purely focusing on publications. Speaking of moving quickly, I mean, your organisation, Vardy, has just blown up from about four people a couple of years ago to, I think, around 30 now. Um, just love to hear a bit about that journey and also what it's been like during a pandemic because, I mean, all this growth has happened really, you know, amidst lockdown and um, a lot of uh, restrictions. Alex and I founded Vardy towards the end of 2019 and we were so fortunate to have incredible investors come on board right at the start with Blackbird. And we've worked really closely with Blackbird partner Nick Crocker through the whole process. We made a big decision um, in 2020 to move to a 35 times larger site. We felt we'd proven out the core understanding of the knowledge of the insect and we're ready to go into this larger scale production. So in January this year, after making that move, we were four people. And now, as you said, we've grown so much. 
And we're really excited now to be in a position where we have that first large facility up and running and we can start to really see the products go to market and the customer relationships we've been building along the way to develop these really high quality, consistent, safe products finally reach the market. What have you been your some of your biggest challenges or things that have kept you up at night during that kind of COVID period and lockdown and trying to scale a, a tremendous organisation during that time? There was a moment at the beginning of COVID and the very first lockdown in Melbourne where we temporarily lost access to our lab. We had a single lab at that time and we'd spent so much of our energy creating the very first special body black soldier fly larvae colony. And we'd actually done that by contacting scientists from all over Australia, teaching them about the black soldier fly larvae, how to go out and identify it in nature and then collect samples for us and send them to us so that we could have the greatest uh, genetic diversity to start our colony. And so that colony, I think it was just 100,000 individual insects at that time um, and losing access to it was so concerning and we had to find a way and we were able to have just incredible support within the university to find a way to re-access that lab And it meant really changing our operations um, significantly in order to accommodate all of the safety precautions that just needed to be met around keeping everyone safe for COVID. And I'm now really thankful because we've put a lot of effort into our operational systems at Bardi that we probably wouldn't have otherwise as such a small team of about four people. But that set us up when we were growing to be a larger team to have really great systems that made it a lot easier to onboard people. Fantastic. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about is um, being a proud uh, majority female-led organisation, um, what, what's that like as sort of part of your identity and um, have you faced challenges being a young female founder in, um, you know, in, in all stages of scaling a, a really promising startup? I think what we're building at Body is really, really special and we operate in start, a startup and, it, and a lot of different areas across STEM and we're now at a point with Body where I believe eight out of ten of our leaders, including me, are female. And that's something we're just incredibly proud of. So including leaders in software, genetics, manufacturing, um, engineering. So some really uh, often like heavily um male-dominated areas. We've got amazing female leaders who are growing and we also really focus on, as well as bringing great new talent into Body, internal promotion. And we have some people in our team who've actually had promotions every three to six months already. Wow, that's a good run, run rate. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, it's just so exciting. Body's growing really quickly and to have the opportunity for individuals to grow their career as quick as as quickly as the company is growing um, is so exciting. There's, um, I think there's also a really, like I was very lucky um, coming in that um, I had a lot of incredible support as as a female founder starting a business for the first time. I don't think that means um, anyone or, if, or even I was exempt from some of the like unique experiences you have as a female founder stepping into the startup world. But what was really meaningful for me was having um, the support of mentors really early on. Joining an accelerator was a game changer mm. in that. And and um, another part 
of it was that I actually met our first backers and investors through an event specially set up for female founders. Oh, fantastic. So it, that event was um, run by Launch Fic and Blackbird, and it was just about introducing new female founders to other female founders who'd received um, venture capital investment. And so I didn't actually have a warm intro into finding an investor. I actually met our, our investor, our first lead investor through that process. And then it was those women who I met on that day that then mentored me through that process. That's incredible. That, that must have been really like, you know, turning point stuff. I think it's really, really special. And I think there's a lot of people who've done a lot of work to make my story possible. What do you see is some of the most important things that you try and influence in building a great culture? I think, uh, yeah, we think about culture so much um, at Bardi and it really comes from a values lens. We've got three values at Bardi. I spoke about one before, which was accountability to nature. The other two are speed with integrity, which really speaks to the essence of being a startup, um, particularly in the areas we operate in. And then the final one is live passionately, be formidable, and that speaks to the kind of people that we look to be I, on the journey I, I with I us. I love that. Be formidable. Live passionately, be formidable. Yeah, it basically means means that um, when we're passionate and when there's true ownership of a solution, we know that within our team at Buddy, we're going to deliver what we say we're going to do, what we're going to do, um, and that's how we operate as a team, and it allows us to move um, like quite seamlessly through like quite complex challenges that we face. So. In kind of deciding whether somebody, a candidate, would be a good fit for Barty, like what would be a common sort of thing that you'd be like, yep, they're a Barty person or maybe not so much? We really specifically look for people who have an action bias and have acted on what they care about. Um, we also think it's just as important for someone who's looking to join our team to get to know our team to see if it's a fit for them. We always see it as a very two-way um, process once we get towards the end of the hiring process. I think one of the things we've brought in now is that as well as the interviews and a take-home sort of technical challenge, particularly for technical roles or leadership roles, what we look at doing is inviting the potential candidates in to our facility for a session where they actually get to meet the team and we tackle a, a problem together and the team gets to meet them and they get to meet the team. Um, and we can look at how they actually put what they've been talking about, how they like to work in interviews into practice. Um, and if they can really jump in head first and, and start to grasp what, how we work at Barty. Fantastic. Do you have a, a board or advisory board? We have a board, um, and that is me, my co-founder Alex, and our and Nick Crocker. Uh, we also have incredible investors who we seek advice um, from, as well as support from. Constantly, we have one of our investors who's actually been working in the business a day a week since we started, um, and at completely for for free. That's completely. Um, just something that's been incredible for us and it's really upskilled us, particularly in the manufacturing areas. I think uh, I've also found as uh, being part of Accelerator's map and then Startmate as well, um, some of the most important advice I've received has been from other founders who are one or two stages ahead. And I know um, Alex as well, he's connected with a lot of incredible like founders and CTOs in the startup space who um, 
who have been able to advise us as we've um, sort of tried to work through things or introduce new things um, for Bardi. And now what we do is we try to recreate that for the leaders who join Bardi. So we recently hired a head of finance and we connected them with um, lots of other head of finances and CFOs in amazing startups that we looked up to. And we did the same for our head of marketing, chief of staff. Um, it's a system that's worked for us. So we're trying to replicate it and um, share the benefits. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. With the decision to focus on the um, black soldier fly larvae, were, were there other kind of alternatives that Alex considered working with before he landed on the, the black soldier fly? I think there are a number of insects that are great candidates for creating insect protein, not just for human consumption, but for um, other products like the ones that we're producing, like pet food. Uh, I mentioned crickets and mealworms before. I think they're some of the obvious candidates mm. as well as black soldier fly larvae. Is that because they've got a high protein yield? or Yeah, it's often about the high protein yield yeah. and also um, – the ability to breed the insect and to have a consistent colony um, that can support a kind of manufacturing environment or um, you don't want to be promising product to customers and then suddenly something happens to your colony and it, yeah. and it becomes difficult. So consistency is really important. Why, why we settled on the black soldier fly was really for its versatility it's able to accept the broadest streams of waste um, all the way from like fruits to meats to dairy to grains. And so that meant that we were able to tackle some of the more difficult food waste streams that were always ending up in landfill. And we felt that was a, a really great place to start. And what the challenge has been is to work out if we're going to take on such um, difficult streams that are, you know, no one else knows how to deal with and can't get them out of landfill, then how do we then still make a really high quality consistent insect protein out the other side. So that's really where all the magic of the technology we're building exists. Do you ever see a point at which you will diversify and choose another insect to work with? I think there's <gasps> definitely possibility that we would look to do that in the future. At the moment, we're really focused on the black soldier fly larvae and we'll yep. really, really run that technology mm. um, to scale. And then I think it's at, at that point that we might look at other insects. Um, at the moment, there's so much more work to do with the black soldier fly. And, and what does it taste like, the larvae? I mean, you're just thinking about the human consumption element, and I want to get onto the cultural side of that as well. But um, in its sort of base form, is it kind of something that's easy to work with to make human food? Yeah, so we actually eat the black soldier fly larvae cooked all the time as a team. So we have a nut dispenser in our kitchen at our facility and we fill that up with fried black soldier fly larvae with all sorts of different herbs and spices. And recently another – our team loves baking and another person in our team actually baked a birthday cake for someone using the oil from the black soldier fly. Oh, my God. It was Really tasty. It was a little bit savory. Yeah. It was a date cake. Okay. So it was it was really really nice. Yep. Um and yeah, we've we eat it in all sorts of different ways, sprinkled on top of salads. Um we're always trying stuff. So I guess that's a big part of product innovation and development too, is that you've got just this in-house team that just loves experimenting with the, the black soldier fly. I think we've been so focused on getting to 
this sort of large scale dealing with tons and tons of time, it was actually a, a big shift for us when we introduced our product lab. So part of our team kitchen, the other half of it, we built this other lab, which has benchtop scale food production types of equipment. So we're able to produce um, different types of uh, insect protein meal, oils, um, butters, uh, even um even burgers in that little lab to try. Burgers? Yeah. Whoa, that, that's that's huge. At the moment, it's really just for the team yep. and we're a little way off going through that human food um, certification process, which, I mean, we're actively working on it with CSIRO now. What about if I volunteered myself and Cyril to come in and taste test both the crickets and burgers made out of black soldier fly? <laughs> Would that be something we could discuss <laughs> after the podcast? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, as I said, it's pretty common for us to to try it. And also a lot of our um, angel investors and investors have all tried the insects at some point as well. So we get lots of different feedback about what it tastes like and anything from kind of shellfish to mushroom. So, I mean, I think part of what you said earlier was that the um, Southeast Asian market is all over this already. Uh, it's very common to see it at, um, at street markets, wet markets, all kinds of, um, so, you know, sidewalk, um, thoroughfare, vendors and whatnot. Um, do you think part of it here is just the, the lack of visibility? And like, so to get your head around eating an insect is very different because culturally we're not kind of surrounded by it and we have to maybe think about different ways to present it to the Western consumer. I think I think you're really onto something there and I do think that we're going to need to take a different approach in the Western market to how we take insect protein into an everyday part of our diet. Yep. One of the, you know, we're all super into it at Barty, so we'll eat whole, whole fried insects yep. and think nothing of it. But often and what what we're seeing is that it's much more palatable to work with the high protein flour as a starting point yes um where it's an ingredient in a a whole food product yes and that's sort of a way i think that we'll be able to step in um similarly i when we're making burgers it's not a hundred percent like soldier fly larvae we're looking at other kinds of sustainable plant proteins that can be included as well incredible i can't wait to be experimented on it's gonna be fun (laughs) so talk to me about how Barty started by chopping food waste into tiny pieces in a university car park. So we haven't covered that yet. Yeah, this is a, this is a huge part of our early story. So the first thing we did um, was build a small 60-square-metre lab. We were in the Melbourne Accelerator program and that meant we had 20K, basically, equity-free to do something and we put that towards building a lab and with my architecture background that was something we were able to do quite quickly we we literally rolled on the gravel to make it flat with a laser level (laughs) to um then build this lab on top and it was a space we were given um for free by the university of melbourne and and yeah that's how we got our start we also then once we had the insect colony running there after a couple of months um of trials and experiments, we needed to test them on real food waste. Mm. So we started receiving food waste tips in the university car park on the weekend. The deal was that it had to be spotless and clean by Monday (laughs) when the university staff came back and needed to park in that Mm. car park. And we had a wood chipper from Bunnings and we would process the food waste into tiny pieces through that wood chipper before we fed it to the insects. And we had one weekend where um, 
instead of the usual tip of, uh, you know, the kind of offcuts from a juice bar, lots of oranges and celery. Um, instead, we ended up with four tons of tuna heads. Oh, God. And tuna are enormous. And there was no way they were going to fit into that um, wood chipper that we had. And we had a couple of choices and we and we sort of sat sat or stood there actually in the car park, all dressed up, you know, in gumboots and big gloves and, um, you know, PPE and big aprons, uh, the sort of plastic aprons um, ready. And But there was no way these tuna heads were going to fit. And so we ended up going to a hardware store and Alex, my co-founder, purchased, it were three people at that time, so purchased three axes. And we ended up having to have a crash course on, you know, basically splitting wood but we did that for this fish awful waste oh my god yeah and till it was small enough that we could process it through the standard wood chipper yep. and we actually use fish offal as a um, food waste stream to this day but we have much larger equipment to deal with it wow that, that's actually amazing um going back to something you said earlier just about sort of like what are the best foods to start with like you know is it is it kind of um really well reasoned that flour or, you know, protein to put in protein shakes might be the right entry point for, for the sort of insect food products here? I think it's quite possible that it could be. I think the – I still think we're a little, you know, a few months out for the black soldier fly um, larvae protein, but we've seen some really interesting success in the market for um, cricket protein in particular in in the health space. I think what we are really hopeful for at Bardi is that because we're able to produce now such large volumes of insect protein, that we'd actually be able to support um, sort of uniquely in Australia these sort of larger, more um, like mass consumer market facing sustainable food products. Mm. So transitioning quite quickly from those kind of niche um, health or fitness angled protein products to things like burgers. Yeah, yeah. I think burgers is a great sort of broader entry point. And I mean, I just look at the experiment with Grilled and Impossible and uh, Beyond and just think, you know, it's it's almost like if you're a new burger chain or an existing burger chain and you don't have a um, an alternative option um, that's not meat-based, you're kind of just not with the program. I think it's been amazing to watch some yeah. Australian companies enter that space mm, as well. Mm. Um, Hungry Jacks has got like an alternative Macca's. It's just insane. Mm, yeah, Hungry Jacks is working with V2, which is an amazing company, and then Fable is just absolutely delicious. We had uh, Michael Fox on the podcast. He's fantastic from Fable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that team and everything that we're doing. I think that the difference between those kinds of um, alternative proteins is that they're really human food um, facing first we have an opportunity to build a lot of volume and credibility by creating insect protein that first goes into pet food and then into animal feeds. But ultimately we know that the most sustainable cycle is that if the food waste goes back into human food consumption in as the fewest uh, or in the least steps possible. Yes. Yeah. There's the, um, the sort of stepped process brain coming through there. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
So when do, when do we anticipate that we'll be able to see um, some body um, dog or pet products and human products um, available for, for purchase? Well, as early as January, you'll start to see really fantastic pet food products on the market, which we're so excited about. Um, we've partnered with yeah, amazing um, pet food companies to deliver those products. You can actually already find carbon negative fertilizers with Buddy's fertilizer inside them. So we're working with Green Manchar, the Plant Runner, and others on that front. And they're really, really beautiful. We developed a pellet for the Plant Runner that's both slow release and quick release in terms of the nutrients. So they've labeled it as the the perfect fertilizer for a lazy plant, house plant <laughs> owner. Um, but it also is carbon negative. So that's really exciting. That's super exciting. Hey, is there any food or uh, waste product that the black soldier fly doesn't like or is discerning about? Or do they just eat everything? I mean, that's what's so phenomenal about the black soldier fly larvae. They're really um, – are able to accept a really diverse range of food waste. Mm. Ultimately, that that diet does need to be balanced, and that's really our role to make sure that that <laughs> happens. Um, and we have an amazing production and manufacturing team that work on that. About 30% of our total manufacturing uh, capacity is actually dedicated to taking the food waste inputs and then turning them into a really balanced diet for the insects. Awesome. Hey, um, I'm really excited about Barty and everything you're doing. Uh, you're growing and the, the team's expanding. Um, tell us more about that and what you're looking for potentially for, for new hires. It's a super exciting time at Barty. We spent two years in stealth mode really developing our technology with a team of scientists from all over the world who wanted to join our journey simply because the technology we're building is really exciting and we're moving so quickly with it. Now there's an inflection point where we've delivered the fundamentals of that technology. We have our products going out the door um, over the last few months. And so we're building out our business development team and all these other types of roles now that we're going to market. And so I'm really excited to um, take on the challenge of building out body as a company and also have amazing people join the journey really early. Fantastic. And if people want to connect with you and learn a bit more about your work or even send in a CV and say, I'd love to work for Barty, how would they do that? Yeah, we have a few ways you can get in contact with us. We have launched our website and there's a section where you can look at the roles that we've launched. There's also a section where if you don't see a role that fits, but you just love the mission and want to be part of the team, you can reach out directly as well. I'm also um, directly accessible via LinkedIn and my email is phoebe at body.com. I think that's the amazing trick today with the internet. Almost anyone is immediately accessible. Oh, yeah. Because most emails are first name, company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the same um, domain as you almost the feel, website. You actually almost feel a bit silly asking people what their email address is. And like in case it's really obvious, like <laughs> when you gave yours, I was like, I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that I think I think that's a good trick for people wanting to um, join startups who want to display their their hustle. I don't think it'll work with everyone. Good hustle tip. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been really awesome, and um, I'm personally super excited about Barty and encourage anyone who's listening to um, connect with Phoebe and uh, jump on board and join the mission. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. 
If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 